those videos are brilliant, aren't they? Doing such a great job. Thank you, Ella, and everyone else who's been involved. Good morning, everyone. It's our joy to be bringing God's Word to you this morning and continuing our series in 1 Corinthians. Um, just as I start, I'd like to invite um, Erica and Dave up the front. They don't know I'm going to ask them, so... They're just going to help me with a little visual demonstration. If you could just kind of stand one here and one there, that would be great, and face each other. Can you adopt this position, please? A bit lower? Fantastic. So the section of Paul's letter to the Corinthians that Jenny and I will be uh, teaching on today is just one of those passages that when you read through it, it makes you feel really uncomfortable. It might make your feet sweat. And these guys are just doing a really great job of being a visual aid. Um, So as I read it out, you might get an uncomfortable feeling inside. Uh, It might cause you to suddenly fire questions around your head in a desperate act to um, resolve theological questions. Uh, theological thoughts. Um, But one of the great things about working our way through a passage and a chapter is that we get to to see everything. We get to learn from everything. But the important thing, sweating aside, (laughs) that's cheating, sweating aside, is that we understand the main point of what God is wanting to speak to us and we allow God to work out through our lives. So last week, Sai spoke on what Paul was addressing about living sexually pure lives, whether that be in marriage or in singleness. And so today we're going to be picking up in chapter fantastic. Well, let's give him a point. We're going to be picking up in verse 25. I won't quite read all of it because we're a bit short on time, but you can, it'll be up on the screen. So now concerning the betrothed. Sorry, we're in chapter 7, verse 25. Concerning the betrothed. I have no commandment from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who, by the Lord's mercy, is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. You can tell he's not married by the language he's using. Um, But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as those who had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. The married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about things of the Lord, how to please, how to be holy in body and spirit but the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and secure your undivided devotion. And I'll stop there. 
So there's a lot there to think about. Um, I'm sure you're kind of buzzing questions around your head. What on earth does he mean by that? Um, <clears throat> so to understand this passage, we just need to put it into context. Um, so we're going to start by doing that. Um, so there's two parts of context that, context that I just want us to consider here. Um, and the first is this, that Paul starts and ends his message, or his, um, this part of the letter, with a kind of disclaimer. And so I spoke a little bit on this last week. He said that what he's about to say, and at the end, those, the words that he's just said, are not a direct commandment from the Lord Jesus, but advice given through the Spirit for good order. So firstly, someone who's trustworthy in the Lord, and lastly, as someone who is spirit-filled. So we need to, need to pay attention to them. So that's an important tension to hold as we read through, and you might notice um, Paul say things like, this is what I think is right, um, but if you don't do it, you haven't sinned. Um, so yeah, there's just a really helpful recognition from Paul there um, that shows that shows us that his aim is simply to give the Corinthian church his trustworthy advice on the matters at hand. And the second part of the context um, that's important for us to consider is the words that Paul uses where he says, in the view of the present distress. He then adds to that by saying and talking about the coming of the end of this present age. So it seems clear, um, reading through it by the way he's speaking, um, that the two aren't necessarily the same, but they aren't um, mutually exclusive. So it's widely believed by historians and scholars that the uh, present distress in the first instance that he's talking about is referring to a famine or a shortage of food around the time. And then the, the second is that of the coming of the end of this present age, which Paul and many others thought was imminent. And they had good reason to think that and believe that because they were expecting famines and earthquakes and stuff like that. So, um, so that's the context in which he is speaking. And within that context, we're just going to look at two key phrases that Paul uses. The first is this, live as though. So he says that in verse 29. And the second phrase he uses is undivided devotion to the Lord or secure undivided devotion to the Lord in verse 35. So let's start with live as though. So as I'm talking, I'd just like you to ask yourself a very simple question. Um, ask yourself this. Is there an urgency in my life to carry out God's will? Is there an urgency in my life to carry out God's will? So those parts that we just read about that actually made us probably feel quite uncomfortable are also really important we don't just want to skate over them, over them and say, well, that was for then and doesn't apply to us now. Um, the fact that we're on the tail end of our own present distress with, a, with the pandemic, I think, makes these verses even more relevant and poignant to us today. So Paul starts by urging those who are betrothed to be married and those... Um, sorry. Paul starts by urging those who are betrothed to be married to remain betrothed, those who are already married to remain married, and those who are single to remain single. And he says that in light of the present distress, which is the famine. Then he goes on to say that because times are short, you must live as though time is short. Okay? If you've got a wife, live as though you don't. If you're mourning, 
stop mourning. If you're rejoicing, stop clapping your hands. Stop buying stuff. Stop having dealings with the world. Stop, stop, stop. So what on earth is Paul getting at here? Well, firstly, it's helpful to know from all of his other writings that Paul is not against marriage. He's certainly not against husbands and wives looking, and looking after each other and caring and honouring one another. And we know that during Paul's ministry, he would have mourned over things and he would have rejoiced over things as well. So what is he going on about? Paul is drilling down into something of great importance that is relevant both for them um, in the Church of Corinthians and also for us now and everything in between all the way up till the second coming of Jesus. What Paul is basically saying is this, get your priorities right. Get your priorities right. Throughout history, we have consistently, as human beings, had a great concern for our own will and our own desires and a lack of concern for God's will and God's desires. And the result of that actually is um, that we misplace our priorities and we've become spiritually complacent, that's generally speaking. Um, And that complacency might be um, to sin or temptation It might be a complacency to living a fruitful Christian discipleship. But what Paul is specifically talking about here is a complacency towards aligning ourselves with the things of the Lord with a sense of urgency. He's concerned that they are more worried and anxious and distracted about the temporary things, such as marriage and celebrations and, and doing your shopping, And he's appealing to them that they need to be far less concerned about those things. They may be important, but he's saying be far less concerned about those things and far more concerned about the things of the Lord. And this is so relevant to us today, isn't it? Actually, there's so many distractions. Um, I don't know about you, but I get easily distracted by my smartphone. There's the TV, there's sports, there's, um, there's our careers. So many other things that I could name that distract us so easily. And actually, that's what Paul is addressing. He's saying, who are you serving? Is it yourself or is it God? And if the answer is God, then is there a sense of urgency about the way that we do that? Are we placing our lives in the hands of things that are temporary or in the things or in our eternal God? Do we live as though God is at the center of our priorities? or the temporary things are. And Paul is just bent on aligning the hearts of men of Corinth to the single most important thing they could center their lives upon, and he's urging them to live as though Jesus were coming tomorrow, because realistically we don't know when he is coming. So Paul's not against marriage. He's not against singleness. He knows that they're good things. He's not against rejoicing or mourning or buying your food from Tesco's. Paul is against the members of the church having divided priorities and a lack of urgency to carry out the purposes of God. And that's certainly a challenge for us today, myself included. I wonder whether when, these, um, when Dave and Erica were on stage, they had an acute sense of urgency not to be the one to buckle first. Um, it's probably the single most thing that's inhabiting your mind at the time. Don't give up, don't give up. And actually, as Christians, do we inhabit our minds with the priorities and the will of God? 
We need to be fixing our eyes upon his purposes with a sense of urgency because he has called us to work them out. Whoever we are, whatever age, whatever culture, whether we're male or female, God has a purpose for us. And actually, Jesus says that our main purpose, um, and he gives this as a commission to the first disciples, is this. In Matthew 28, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you to the end of the age. Christ Church, this is our primary mission. It's God's plan A for the salvation of mankind, to make disciples who make disciples. And we're commissioned to do this not in our own strength, but in the power of the Holy Spirit, with a sense of urgency to live as though Jesus is putting on his shoes ready. And my second point, which is going to be really short, um, is undivided devotion, what Paul speaks about there. So Paul says that the reason he's saying all this stuff about priorities and urgency is because he's wanting to secure their undivided devotion to the Lord. He doesn't want their devotions to be split, to be divided between the temporary and the eternal. As Christians and as a church, we must put God's will and our devotion to that will at the center of our lives. And I would like to urge you, just as Paul urges the church in Corinth this week, just to be thinking about the things in your life, um, such as work and finances and serving and your family. Just be thinking this week um, about putting God at the center of those things. Is God at the center of your priorities in, in all the areas of your life? God spoke to me late last year um, about being an undiluted people. And I believe that that's exactly what God was speaking to me about. And I didn't realize at the time, but um, I just, yeah, I just feel like God is just calling us into that place and drawing us to be an undiluted people, undivided Christians. When we align our hearts with the Father's heart, we receive our true identity. We are mobilized to carry out God's will and we will live fruitful Christian lives. I'm going to hand over to Jenny. Great. I've got about five or six minutes to unpack a whole chapter, so I talk fast anyway, but just wave at me if I'm talking too fast and you don't know what I'm saying. So Paul suddenly shifts in verse 8. He starts talking about meat, suddenly starts talking about meat and specifically meat sold in marketplaces. So let me put this into context because I'm not going to read all of my verses out. Paul um, is, the Corinthians have most likely written to Paul, um, the um, church. They've got this uh, issue that's come up. The majority of the meat in the marketplace at that time was likely to have been sold coming from a pagan temple. So in the same way that the Jews would bring uh, offerings to the one true God, there were all these pagan temples at the time, local gods, uh, global gods. There were even for the Roman emperors were temples. People brought their meats. They worshipped their false gods. 
their idols, and then lots of meat was left over. So there were people holding, essentially, holding dinner parties, celebrations in the pagan temples, but the majority of the meat that was then left over was taken into the marketplace. It was then sold. And the issue is, should we be eating this or should we be not eating this? And obviously, for Hailsham today, we don't have many pagan temples where people go and burn offerings that I'm aware of, and the majority of the meat that we get tends to come from Tesco doesn't come from the marketplace or pagan temples. But what Paul um, wants to, or what we can learn from this actually, um, is just read in the first verses. So I'm going to read out verses 8, chapter, sorry, 1 Corinthians 8, verses 1 and 2. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves, uh, loves God, he is known by God. And actually what Paul wants to address here really is how we interact with one another, how we deal with issues of conscience, those issues that aren't black and white, and how we honour one another through that. So some people were arguing it's fine to eat this meat. There's no issue. We know there's one God. We know all other gods are idols. They're false gods. It's not a problem for us to eat the meat. And for them, it wasn't. These believers were quite comfortable doing that. They coined this phrase that Paul picked up in verse 1, that all of us possess knowledge. It was probably, as I said, quoted to Paul in an earlier letter. And Paul issues this quite stern warning. This knowledge puffs up. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying when I say that knowledge can lead to arrogance and can lead to puffing us up and can lead to pride. What I'm not saying is that knowledge is bad. Knowledge is good. The Bible tells us that knowledge is good. It can be good. It is good. It can and does lead to wisdom. But the Bible is clear. It says in Proverbs, uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and that knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Knowledge is mentioned, depending on your translation of your Bible, 30 to 40 times in Proverbs. And actually, almost every single time that it's mentioned, it's mentioned alongside wisdom or understanding. Because knowledge or obtaining information for information's sake isn't going to do us good. It doesn't change our hearts. It doesn't lead us into understanding or wisdom. And if we just take knowledge and try and apply it without bringing it before God, having understanding and wisdom, it can, instead of grow us, can hinder us. Instead of growing our relationship with each other, it can hinder those relationships. Instead of encouraging one another or equipping each other, sometimes we're just left feeling condemned, perhaps even judged. Charles Spurgeon says that wisdom is the right use of knowledge. To know is not to be wise. Many men know a great deal and are all the greater faults for it. There is no fool so great as a knowing fool. But to know how to use knowledge is to have wisdom. And I just wanted to quickly illustrate this point with this photo that should appear. Fantastic. So this is Carol. Carol is a white British female. She is in her late 70s. She's retired. She's a widow. She was born in Sussex. Dennis is nodding because he recognises her. She was born and raised in Sussex. The majority of you won't know her. She uh, has four children. Um, she uh, has six grandchildren and five great-grandchildren. And I've been tasked to buy Carol a very special present. So based on that information, Becca, could you give me an idea? I need to get her something really special, really personal, something that will just really speak to her and that would really mean a lot to her. Any ideas? 
jewellery? What any anything that gave you that idea why you should, why we choose jewellery? Because she's a girl. There you go. But this is Carol. She is a female. I, that's a good choice. Based on that information that I gave Becca, that is a good choice of something to get her because she's a girl. She likes jewellery. But actually, that information might appear on her census. It might appear in the public records, but it doesn't really tell you much about this lady. So I got some information from her granddaughter, um, which, would tell, which told me that actually she's an incredibly brave woman. She was widowed young. Um, her two youngest children were in school and college. And even as a, grand, as a young child, her granddaughter remembers how she put aside her own grief to um, help her, her two youngest sons mourn through college and through school and the difficulty that she faced through that. It doesn't... It, she told me that she was incredibly kind and hilariously funny and completely eccentric, that she once um, let a family of foxes nest in her porch because she was too kind to turf them out when they got in through the cat flap. So she just put a sign on the front door and told people to use the side door for six months because she didn't want to upset the fox. Um, or the time that she used to teach her granddaughter how to craft because she was an avid crafter, how to bake because she was an avid baker. And so her granddaughter could buy thousands of meaningful presents for Nanny because she's an amazing human. And for the first last 33 years, I've had the privilege of getting to know her because she's my Nanny. And so I love her. I understand her. I know what brings her joy. She, there she is. So she knows what brings me joy because she's one of my favorite humans, actually. But in the same way, we can easily hold head knowledge about God without letting it uh, affect our hearts. When Dave came earlier and talked about the joy of his beautiful daughter, he spoke with love because he was delighted over her. And that's how God sees us and wants us to see him. Not just holding head knowledge about who he is, but actually knowing and understanding him. So the Corinthians were right. Of course, there is only one God. Of course, there's um, no other gods. The idols are old idols. It's not an issue. Therefore, technically, yes, you could eat me, and that's fine. But actually, let's think about the Corinthian church. There would have been brand new believers who up until very recently were in those pagan temples. They were eating that meat and they were sacrificing to those pagan gods because they were in fear of what would happen if they didn't. For those new believers trying to wrestle with their relationship with honoring and serving Jesus and what that looked like and loving him, if there were mature believers coming in and, and eating at those dinner parties, um, how would they hold that intention? That would have been a real struggle for them. And actually, if they weren't spending time getting to know each other, understanding each other, then how would you know what their conscience might grapple with? Some of us will be conscious, our consciences will be grappling with stuff at the moment, things that the Bible doesn't tell us are right or wrong, but actually God gives us a conscience because he wants us to come to him by his spirit and to grapple with those with him, but also with one another. Actually, some of us will make different decisions about uh, social media or um, the way that we deal with the grey areas of coronavirus rules and all those different things, we'll hold them slightly differently. And if you haven't yet listened to Anna's encouragement on YouTube that was out on the, I think, did I write it down? I think it was the 15th of March, a couple of weeks ago. It summed up perfectly. Actually, at the moment, we don't get to spend time with each other. We 
forget how much we enjoy each other's company. And we even feel, I certainly feel like I don't know people as well as I want to or as well as I did a year ago because we can't practically be together. And it's so easy to be critical of each other. And you see it in society. You see the news, the, the kind of blame culture that they shouldn't be doing that, they should be doing this. And it's so easy to fall into that. But actually, as Christian believers, we should be completely countercultural, that we should be looking to uh, engage with each other with empathy and compassion and kindness, the way that Jesus interacts with us and the way that Jesus interacted with people all through his earthly ministry. Um, I could read you lots of different examples, but time is really short. So I'm just going to read you um, or mention in Matthew 26, where Mary um, pours the perfume, anoints Jesus' feet with perfume. And the disciples come to her and they rebuke her. They, they say, you know, why did you do that? This was so expensive. We could have sold that and we could have given it to the poor. And that's true. They could have sold it. They could have sold it for a lot of money and could have given it to the poor. And yet Jesus praises her because he sees her and understands her motives. He understands her decisions. He understands it's out of a heart to honor him. It's out of a heart to sacrifice her all for him because she sees who he is. And he sees her motives and he understands that. And so just to sum up and really finish this morning, actually, I would love if people are able to to stand and I would love to pray for us as a body that we would be those counter-cultural people who take time to understand each other and take time to understand people that we um, meet with and we treat them just with the compassion that Jesus treats us with and the love that he treats us with because actually love builds, doesn't it? So knowledge, that knowledge information, trying to hold things and, and, you know, being black and white doesn't fix things. But actually, when we uh, love one another, we love people, then it will build up ourselves. It will build up us as a body and it will build up our society around us as well. God, I thank you so much that we can look at a passage this morning that Paul wrote thousands of years ago about issues that completely don't affect our society and yet God that you've given us principles in your word to live by that you've given us guidance to um, be a body of people that will stand apart from um, the rest of our society and show people your love. God we thank you so much that when you say you love us that isn't a sentiment that we just stick on a fridge magnet and say isn't that nice. We know as Rob said that you know us intimately you know us deeply. You understand why we feel particular uh, emotions. You understand why we react to things. That you love us individually and that you love our church here in Hailsham. And God, we just pray that we would be uh, completely countercultural today, God. That we wouldn't be people um, like we see often in society at the moment that are quick to blame or quick to judge uh, each other's actions. But God, that we would just be a community of believers that love one another that are committed to building one another up and committed to and um, building your church in Hailsham. God, we thank you we don't do that alone. We thank you that by the power of your Holy Spirit that we um, can be people set apart for you. God, we pray that you would just give us um, your strength, that you would fill us afresh with your uh, love this morning. God, that we would just go out of here, God, um, just aware that the Holy Spirit that dwells inside us has the power to transform not only our own lives, but transform the community around us. God, we just pray that, yeah, you would be with us today. Amen.